You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, for any other task that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too on demand. So it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Has the blood pressure dropped a little bit? Is everything okay? Are people doing better today than they were a few days ago? I don't really know. Sal, admittedly, I've been a little bit scared to turn on the radio because I don't know what I'm going to hear when I turn it on. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of It's Always Game Day. Matt Bove, Channel 7, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550, Mike Rabier, our producer. So, Sal, the talk this week has been about what's wrong with the Bills and how do they fix it, which is normal to happen at some point during the season. What's not normal for this team is is that we've kind of had the same conversation and the same big questions for a month now. And that's the concerning part. For sure. And I think now, more than ever before, we've heard so much anger and frustration towards the organization and the coaches. And I think, Matt, it's not in a vacuum. What I think is happening here, and I made this comment back in, I want to take you back to the offseason, okay? The Bills announced that Leslie Frazier was leaving, stepping away. And then not long after, it was announced that H. Hunter was taking over. But really, this happened when Eric Washington was announced as the new assistant head coach. And it was just an innocuous kind of like news. Like It's big news, but hey, Eric Washington. And all of a sudden, I started reading like these replies and people like people just like mad at Sean McDermott. And it, it really dawned on me at that moment. It probably was happening before that. But it dawned on me at that moment that fans are just mad at McDermott. They're just mad at him. And anything that happens, they're going to be mad at him. They're going to yell about him. And anything that's happened since then, all of this stuff has just been building towards even more of a crescendo. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff we've talked about this week, all the different, you know, every time he steps in front of a microphone, he can do no right. I will tell you that for any yeah. fan. I, I don't. Are there are there reasons to criticize Sean McDermott, the coaching staff? Yes, absolutely. I also think it's gone way overboard where it's just now getting the point where no matter what happens, it's people just, they have the pitchforks out. They're ready to go. They don't want to hear anything that goes contrary to that. If you're not going to say, 
how bad it is and how much changes should be made. I saw a couple of people this week bring back up 13 seconds, which I know is something oh, yeah. we've talked about a lot. And the general theme was, I will never forgive Sean McDermott for 13 seconds. And I think people are saying that now because they feel like maybe the window has closed and it yep. feels like the bills missed their chance to go win a Super Bowl. And I don't think the window has closed yet. I don't think the window's closed, even if they have a bad year this year and they end up missing the playoffs. I think as long as you have Josh Allen in his kind of prime years, you always will have a chance. That being said, it has been kind of really a bumpy ride this season, and it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been as complicated as it is, and somebody's going to take the blame, and you know how it is. That's going to usually be Sean McDermott, or it's going to be Ken Dorsey nobody's really going to put the blame on Josh Allen. Some people will. Some people will say, hey, like he needs to be better. Maybe this team does not have four losses if he plays better in a couple of the games. That's probably true. But, you know, Josh is the guy this city has been waiting a long time for. So I think he's kind of the most protected from the criticism when all of mm -hmm. this stuff kind of happens. The thing that I thought about a lot the last few days. Let me, let me stop you right there and let me say something because you're 100% yeah. right. But because what happens is if you have people who do point out Josh did this wrong, Josh did that wrong. Look at the guys he's missed. There are there's some people who say, OK, well, I'll put it on Josh. But a really a lot of people are going to say, well, that's on coaching. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Josh did this wrong. I'm blaming the coach for that. Right. I mean, that's what's happening. Yeah, but did you see there was a couple videos circulating on social media this week that I think got a lot of play, and it was just like highlights of the Bills offense for the last yes. couple of years. And I'm sure you watched that video. And the thing that stands out to me is I do not want to say like, okay, everybody wash their hands. Josh Allen is not to blame at all. But it is incredible watching that video and watching other teams around the league of how coaches scheme guys open and it feels like that just does not happen enough for the Bills. And I know there are plays when he misses the guy that he is supposed to check down to, or he misses an open read because he never looks to his third progression or his fourth progression or whatever it is. But it, it doesn't feel like there's any of that low-hanging fruit for him to just mm -hmm. grab. It feels like he has to make the play, and that's a lot to put on somebody. I even think back to the Super Bowl and some of the touchdowns that the Chiefs got in that game. I hate to say this like because I know it's not true, but one of us could have made some of those it, like wide open guys in the flat to Kadarius Tony and to Travis Kelsey. And you're like, how do those guys get so freaking open against a great defense? And it felt like Brian Dable always had a way of getting guys occasionally open. Sometimes you need your quarterback to go make those ridiculous, crazy throws. And he does a lot but he has not been perfect this year. And I feel like that has kind of made the problems that much greater. And I think coaching has a big reason to do with that. Yeah, I, I think he has to do a better job of that. I also wonder if he has the horses to do it. I think that's part of it too. You can draw up all these schemes, Matt, <clears throat> to say, get Gabe Davis open, mm -hmm. get Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid open. You can do all that. Choose your guy. It doesn't matter. The guy still has to get open. You can't You can't just say, yeah, just go do this because it'll be there no matter what. Mm -hmm. The other team gets paid. They know they're going to be playing their defense. Let's take Gabe Davis, I think, is a great example for this. Yeah. Like, are you confident enough to say he's going to get open when it's schemed for him to get open? He's still got to run the route and get open against the guy. Now, 
I think there's some valid criticisms against Gabe, and I think that he's also played better than a lot of people give him credit for. But just because you have a play on paper that says you should get open doesn't mean he's going to get open. So mm -hmm. then it falls on who is that. Where I do think it's correct about Dorsey is if you go back and watch those highlights from and this maybe the same video you're talking about, I'm not sure. There were highlights of um, it's basically the Bills under Dable, right? Like a lot mm -hmm. of like some of these these plays they made when Brian Dable was coordinator. And people talk about creativity. I don't know if I want to use that word as much as I just want to use like the phrase, um, you know, matchup specific. It seems like to me what's happening with this offense is I like the Bills have it. this offense. They they that's what they believe in. It's what they trust in, and they kind of go out and run it. Whereas in years past, when they had Brian Dable, it's like, yeah, we do that. But guess what? This team this week, we got to do these things differently and mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z differently. And I don't know if that's happening as much as it should be. Yeah, the people who I follow who are really smart and who I listen to who are really smart, one of those guys that comes to mind is Dan Orlovsky. And he always says there's a difference between calling plays and like, you know, like, scheming things up Correct. basically and like there's you can call a play but you also have to have the feel for a game of when you should be doing certain things and when you should be getting away from certain things because anybody can look at a play sheet and say okay we like this one we like this one we're going to do this one we're going to do this one and it feels like at times maybe that's what the bills are doing it feels like they have a predetermined plan of what they're going to try and do when a drive happens and then they just stick to that and that answers the question if this is what's happening that answers the question of why didn't you go up tempo sooner or why did you do this or why did you run it here because it's like okay we went into this thing and we had these plays predetermined and I do think that I like I also like your point about not having the horses to run with Josh however the offensive line is better significantly better than it has been in years past. So when you say maybe he does not have the horses that he can run with, I think there is some validity to that, maybe with the skill position players. But also Dalton Kincaid is better than anybody they've had a tight end yeah. during Josh Allen's tenure. And the offensive line is giving him more time to throw than he has had at any point. So when you add those two things together, I don't know. I don't know if the secondary weapons are significantly worse than they have been in years past. I mean, obviously the year where Cole Beasley – earned all pro votes they don't have anybody like that but i don't know i, I don't know if it's a weapons thing i think maybe yeah. they're not i don't know i, I think I, i'm not gonna say i, I there's a weird way for me to say it because i i hear I, I get what you're saying to me because the way i i framed it but i think i want to frame it differently which is it's not necessarily that they don't have the horses to be good like i think you're right about that i think you combine that with maybe expecting them to do certain things they can't do and not playing to their strengths and that is coaching right mm -hmm. um so it's like, and then teams catch up to it. Other teams get paid. They get defensive coordinators. They have players and like, wait a minute, this is what they're doing. Let's remember. Do you remember last year? The, um, this just came to my mind, but this is relevant. Do you remember the interception Josh threw at the end of the game against Minnesota in overtime? They lose the game, right? Yeah. The wild Minnesota game. Do you remember what Patrick Peterson said after the, said after the game? He was, he was the one that intercepted it. Yeah. That he knew what was going to happen. He knew he the said play. They though. only run two routes from that formation with Gabe Davis. That's yeah. He said, mm -hmm. he said, so I those are the things I'm talking about. Like, okay, like this is what we do. And you go out there and you got to be able to change things up. And then you got to trust Gabe or whoever it is. I'm not just picking on him to be able to beat his guy, which is a secondary issue, which also could not maybe be happening. So I think it's a whole bunch of these things, but I remember that thing that Patrick Peterson said, yeah, Hey, I watched him on film. They run two routes when they're in this formation. He runs two routes. That's it. And that catches up, Matt. I mean, 
people get paid a lot of money to notice those things. I mean, we don't get paid nearly enough money to nearly as much money to notice those things. And I think there's times when I'm sitting in the press box or you're down on the sideline and Quentin Morris runs onto the field and I go, oh, well, it's a run play because Quentin Morris just came onto the field. And I know that occasionally that's not the case. But I mean, my goodness, if I'm noticing that, I know defensive coordinators and defensive coaches are like, okay, well, here's going to be the one or two times that they actually try and run the ball just to show that they're not super predictable, even though we know it's probably not going to be very effective. Effective. That's been part of this too. It has not just been, okay, the, the passing game is not clipping as well as it has done in years past. The run game has fallen off significantly. The last couple weeks, they have not been a threat on the ground really at all. It doesn't feel like, I mean, the Bucks game a little bit, but not a ton. I, I don't feel like teams are at all concerned about James Cook or especially Latavius Murray. Um, Josh has run a little bit more. Some of the, it was a couple designed runs against Cincinnati. I think to further your point, we've been waiting for Josh to run more. We've been clamoring for him to. Wouldn't that help? Like if you if you give Josh Allen a few more runs, you have to respect that more. You have to think yeah. about that a little bit more. So I think that has to be incorporated in it. So I guess just to kind of sum it up, to me, it's not one issue. It's not just on Ken Dorsey, but he does deserve criticism. Like because he runs the offense, and I don't think they're doing enough to make sure that they have enough at their disposal. But I also don't. I think sometimes you have to consider that maybe he's not working with the the pieces that maybe needed to make all of this work, and that has to happen. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot here. And when I think about all the criticism, I'll go back to what I just started the first part of the segment, which is like there's this blanket just anger against John McDermott. There's this blanket anger against. Ken Dorsey. And I think that's what happens when people are so frustrated, they don't know where to turn. I just think you got to look a little bit deeper and sure you can blame them for some things and they sure have to have part of the frustration. But I think there's a lot going on here of why they've been struggling. You know what this reminds me of this season? The 2006, 2007 Buffalo Sabres. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And follow me here because this is going to sound weird. But that season was not nearly as enjoyable for a lot of people as this season the year before, the 2005-2006 season. Now keep in mind, the team in 06-07 won the President's Cup as the best team in the NHL and also made it to the conference finals just like they did the year prior. But because the bar was so high, people – we're so much more hung up on all of the ups and downs of a season and of a playoff run and all of that stuff, rightfully so. For the Bills, the bar is the Super Bowl. So when you start to slip even a little bit, I mean, five and four, 
there's a lot of teams that would kill to be five and four. I, they have certainly not met their expectations or even come close to it. But we don't know how the story ends yet. You know what I mean? Like you know, but you I'll give you another. At- I'll give you another example of why your 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 example is appropriate. I think everyone in 07 kind of knew it might be that's it for mm-hmm. for Aaron Drury. Yeah, because they left sure. on July 1st, and and the window <laughs> was shutting on that team, and the angst was grown. Here, mm-hmm. it's not Josh Allen, but it's is this what does this look like after the season for different players? Mm-hmm. You know, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Von Miller, Tredavious White with the injury. You know, I mean, what does this roster look like? How do they continue going forward? Because it's not going to be the same group. They're getting older. So you talk about window, that 06 07 season, part of the reason why what you're saying is right. It's not like today's Sabres with all these young guys under contract. It was, we better win now. We're not going to have these guys next year. And I think there's some of that creeping in here in Buffalo, of course. Yeah. With this team. But I think we've had the word continuity brainwashed into our heads for so long that maybe there is something to be said about, I don't want to say wiping the slate clean, mm-hmm. but having some meaningful changes at positions where things have just gotten a little stale. That's what I felt about Leslie Frazier leaving. I've thought that's, about this. I, I don't disagree. That's not a knock on Leslie Frazier. I think Leslie Frazier is a good coach, but – I think they just needed some fresh ideas, and they just got stale. And that's honestly how I felt about the offense, even though it's only been a year and a half at this point of Ken Dorsey. I'm like, I I don't know. It just does not feel like they have these creative, innovative ways of putting up points and sustaining drives, and maybe they just need a new opinion, which is drastic. I realize that. I've heard people say in the past, and I think there is something to it, that like the quarterback-coach marriage should never be longer than five years. Because after that, you're just kind of going through the motions. Even if you've had success like the Bills have had with McDermott and Josh Allen, it's like, well, maybe you have not untapped all of the potential that is there. I mean, you know, there's cases where like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were not ever breaking up during that run or Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But it makes you wonder, like, I don't know what happens this year, what happens long term, what happens if these expectations are not met. I don't know, but something will happen. It's an interesting point, interesting question. Pretty, pretty philosophical to kind of go into it because, see, I, I get, I, I, I write, I absolutely admit to like, I oftentimes err on the side of, it's not the coaches. There's so much more. It can be the coaches, but there's so much more to this. It's not just bam, bam, fire everybody. I get mm-hmm. that totally. But I also agree with you that change can be good and change can sometimes change is needed. In fact, I remember one time I was in a classroom. I actually started to, I, did, I didn't follow through with it. I, one time I thought I was, I wanted to be like a administrator in school when I was a teacher, right? I was like, oh, assistant principal, principal, whatever at some point. But I was going through a, these ed leadership courses, education leadership. And I had a teacher who said this to me one time. She said, in any career, really, you should tr- you should basically have some significant change every five, six years at the most in every career. It's good for everybody. It's good for you. It's good for the people around you. And I think about that sometimes. And what you're saying is probably true in some capacity. I just don't know how far to go with that because what I ultimately fear, Matt, is I see, I think Sean McDermott is an excellent NFL coach. I do. To win at the level he's won at, to sustain it for as long as he has for seven years now, is pretty remarkable. You don't get that in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say, let's change, because Josh Allen isn't changing, right? We know that. He's not changing. Mm -hmm. They're not getting rid of Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. 
So to your point of, well, the coach quarterback marriage, all right, what does that look like then? So if you change out the coach, talking head coach here, who's the head coach of this team? And I get death. I get really afraid of like that, that part of it because they've had, they've had so much success. I don't want to go back to what it was for 17 years, Matt. Yeah. But what if that success is capped? And I don't the- know. I don't know. That's what you have to decide. I guess it can be. There's no, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the notion. It can't be. Tell mm-hmm. me who's going to have that sustained success that they've had with the way this organization's run. I don't know. Uh, it's like, what the Golden State Warriors had to do with Steve Kerr, right? To ultimately get over the hump and then go on the run that they went on. It's like you had to make a change, even though things were pretty good. And it was a risk, and you did not know how that was going to work. And and I'm not suggesting that the Bills do that. I think that they have built a resume and a track record that has earned them, honestly, a bigger margin for error and probably a couple screw-ups. Like, let's say we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. These are off-season podcast conversations. But if this team misses the playoffs, I do not think they are firing their head coach. I I really do not. If it happens twice, then that's a different conversation. But even that, I think they might be able to survive because of what they were ultimately able to accomplish. And when you look at all of the stuff that's happened, the injuries, how Sean is a defensive guy and the defense has not been the reason why this team has lost, then I think that kind of protects those people. But, I mean, Josh is not going anywhere. Josh Allen is legitimately still, in a year where people are wondering if he needs to be better, still a top five player in the league and an MVP candidate. I would say, Matt, he's he's still putting he's putting up MVP numbers. I know, <laughs> it's amazing. I, think I, I I'm reading last week. I'm hearing people go, yeah, I'm hearing people go. Well, he's hit his ceiling. What's well, a damn high ceiling? Still, it's fine yeah. with me. Like I know. If he plays like this every year. Keep mm-hmm. it at that ceiling. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird time in the city, and it's a weird time for Bills fans because I think the expectations were high, and I remember after the Dolphins game, which was not that long ago having the conversation of like, is this the best roster that this team has had? And then they just get decimated with injuries and the offense falls asleep. They just do not look nearly as efficient or effective or as dangerous as they have in years past. And I think there's time for them to kind of figure things out. But the fact that they haven't done it against the opponents that they have played does not give me much confidence knowing who they've got coming up against them. They've got eight games left on the season. They got to win a minimum five, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not a foregone conclusion. I mean, this team lost to the Patriots. Ten, ten and seven will be, will will maybe not even get you in because of their conference record. So when yeah. you say minimum five, it better be mostly AFC games too. Yeah, well, it is mostly AFC games left, right? Besides right. the Eagles right. and Cowboys, really. Yeah, that's true. But I'm saying, like, if you don't get to eleven, if you're going to go with ten. The, the, the ones you drop better not be AFC games. Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing. There is there is no margin for error. I believe I was looking at the percentages for the playoffs and everything right now, and right now it's about a 50-50 chance for the Bills. Yeah. And if they win against the Broncos, that jumps to 60. If they lose, you know what that goes down to? 35? 29. Yeah. So to say this is a must-win game is not hyperbole. It's not an overreaction. They have to win this game against the Broncos, and then they have to win against the Jets. And then I think everybody can maybe breathe a little bit at that point because then if that happens, obviously things do not look as bleak. 
But even if you do win the next two games, it, it is not a slam dunk given everything that's going on in this conference right now. It's a very, very tough year to make the playoffs. Yeah, you still have to rely on some help. But look, I, as I keep saying, despite all of that, because we're talking playoffs, you're pretty much talking wildcard. Despite all of that, they're a half game behind the Miami Dolphins for the AFC East. Mm-hmm. I mean, winning the East might be easier than getting a wild card, basically, when it comes down to was your I saw the station post a, a poll today. Was that your show or was that uh, Jeremy and Joe about it wasn't mine? What was it? Would you sign up right now? Oh, for yeah. Bills Dolphins week 18 winner. Win I didn't division? see the poll. I heard their discussion, though. I heard their yeah. discussion on it. That's fascinating. Yeah. If I told you right now, hey, folks, you know what? We're just going to go to week 18. It's going to be win the game, win the division, lose the game out of the playoffs. Same thing for the Dolphins. Would you take it? Absol- what do you, what do you Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I do not take it. No. On the if road, this- on the yeah. road against that offense, and I understand, like, you just beat them, and they are paper tigers. A lot of people are saying the Dolphins are frauds. Eventually, they won't be. Eventually, mm-hmm. they're going to beat a team that's got a winning record. You don't want it to be you. I, I don't think the door has closed. on. They're 5-4. and four. There, I do not think this happens, but there's absolutely a world where they win six of their last eight games. And then at that point, you've got six losses. Hey, come on, like 11 and six. If you told somebody 11 and six before the season, I don't think they're freaking out. I know that does not seem feasible right now, but they lost a game to the Bengals that they could have won. And I'm willing to listen to the argument that the Bengals are the best team they are going to play all year, all year. The Eagles are tough. The Cowboys are tough. The Chiefs are tough. I totally get that. But I do really believe that this team can go and win one or two of those games. The other reason why you don't take that scenario, because I wouldn't either, is you're essentially saying you trust them to be in a better spot than that. What you're Mm -hmm. saying is I'd take my chances with them figuring this out and winning more games and not have to be in that spot, right? If this is 2017 and we're talking like this and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this team. Look what everybody Mm -hmm. thought they were tanking. Look where they are right now. And I said, you know what? Would you take one game? You'd be like, absolutely. Oh, my God. It's been a 17-year playoff drought. But mm-hmm. not now, not in 2023. As bad as it's looked over the last you – know, they, they've rotated these wins, losses, and they've, you know, they're five and four. I think you're still sitting there going, oh, no, no. Like, I, I at least trust them to be in a better spot than have to rely on that one game winning in and risk losing it all in that game against Miami, which I think well, is the big picture about how we feel about the team overall, that they still have a talented enough and good enough team to be able to get out of this. Weren't they seven and six after the Bucks game yes. that they lost a couple of years ago in 2021? And I know that the conference is more stacked now than it was then. It didn't. They feel had like- a much easier schedule the rest of the way. But yes, you are completely. Y- right. Yeah, no. I mean, it was like after that, it was Carolina, it was the Jets, it was the Falcons. It was yeah. not a very difficult finish to the season. I do think, though, for when you look at the standings right now, and you go, "Oh my gosh, look at all these teams that are ahead of them." I think those teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit. Yes. And I do think that that will, excuse me, will ultimately help the Bills as they try and climb their way out of this little hole that they've dug themselves into. It's one game. All right. So it's it's legitimately one. The conversation around this team is so much different if they don't lose the Patriots game. And I know that there is no revisionist history here, but if this team was six and three instead of five and four, and their losses were to the Jags, to the Jets week one, and to the um, 
Bengals who they just lost to. I don't think there's people panicking. I think it's just people like, okay, you got to figure this out soon. But now the conversation is you got to figure it out so you make the playoffs. And that's the thing that makes the stakes that much higher and makes, I think, the stress that much higher for fans. Yeah, well, let's talk about those teams that they're fighting with and what's coming up for them. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, it's always game day in Buffalo. All right, so you said it, Matt. You're right. These teams are going to beat up on each other. In fact, okay, I know you're not necessarily chasing the Ravens right now, and you're not close to them. They have a two-game lead, but I'll give you them as an example. The Ravens' next two games, Cleveland and Cincinnati, two division games. Cleveland's mm-hmm. next two games, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, two division games. Cincinnati's next two games, well, um, Houston, and then Baltimore and Pittsburgh after that. Mm-hmm. And then Pittsburgh's next two games, uh, well, actually next three, Green Bay, then Cleveland and Cincinnati. Here's the point I'm making. Over the next three weeks, everybody in the North plays each other once. Everybody. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. going to beat up on each other. They're going to cannibalize each other in some way, shape, or form. In some way, you might want one team to kind of run away with it and just beat everybody else. In other ways, say, no, just keep beating each other up. And just keep doing that. That that's what is going to happen here. So the Bills have to take care of business because yes, they have a Jets game coming up soon. That's a division game. Other than that, it's conference, but it's non non conference, non division. Basically, going forward here for the next little while. Yeah, and then I fast forward to week seventeen here because I'm looking, and it's like okay, obviously I think this is going to go down to the wire for all of these teams. And week seventeen, the Dolphins play the Ravens, the Bengals play the Chiefs. So, I mean, you've got some big boy matchups with some of these teams. You've got the Browns and the Jets facing each other. So, I, you know, these are games where a team is going to lose. And you just are hoping that the team, like for the Bills, obviously, if you are still in the midst of this crazy playoff race and in week 17 you're a half game still behind the Dolphins and the Ravens win and you beat the Patriots, now you control your destiny and you could go and, you know what I mean? Like, although yep. – it 100%. really, it wouldn't really matter, right? If you're a half game up or a half game down going into the last game of the season, it wouldn't matter. You just still have to win. The you only thing, if you, if you, yeah, if you were separated by, well, you wouldn't be a half game at that point. It'd be one game, but you'd have the the you'd have the tiebreaker. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it might not matter because even if if they finish tied with a split, then Miami might get it because they might have a the better AFC. division record. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, for sure. Um. But 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 just talking about all of that, you know, we were going to talk. I just want to kind of rewind a little bit because we just we didn't talk about injuries, and they have the Broncos coming up this week. We talk about that matchup. I'm a little concerned about Micah Hyde. We don't know his status yet as we record this. The Bills mm-hmm. signed a practice squad safety. I know nothing. I'm just saying because of that move only, Matt, is why I say look. He had the neck injury last year. He had a stinger during the game. You sign a practice squad safety. Maybe that means that, you know, maybe they're preparing for him not to be available in some capacity. Yeah, I kind of got that same sense, too, just from the moves that have been made, knowing Micah's injury history, and also just the tone that Sean McDermott talked about the injuries at the beginning of the week. He certainly did not, you know, try and put out any fires with any of these things. He just said that all of these guys are injured. I mean, it's already a bare-bones cast on defense, and now it's, okay, no Daquan Jones, no Matt Milano, no Tredavious White. Maybe no Micah Hyde, maybe no Terrell Bernard. He's in the protocol. Maybe no, uh, who is the other one that I'm missing? Christian Benford. Christian Benford. And Dane Jackson got hurt too. Yeah, but Dane Dane is fine, he said. He said Dane looks like he's going to be fine. But yeah. Um, No, you're right about those. And as far as Bernard is concerned, so apparently, and I don't have the exact data on this, but according to Mike Shope, 
our afternoon drive host on WGR. He said Brock Purdy is the only player this year who actually cleared protocol the following week after a concussion. Like really? everybody else who got a concussion has missed the next game or the next week if there was mm-hmm. a game that week. So you're probably going into this game with both backup linebackers, and you're probably going to have at least, well, maybe your starting corner not there, and then you're really leaning into Rasul Douglas and Dane Jackson. Mm-hmm. Dane Jackson had a really good game against the Bengals, but the one thing that the Broncos have offensively that I think concerns you a bit is they've got some good wide receivers. Yeah. Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton right. is a good player. Jerry Judy is a good player. You know, Javante Williams is a good player. Obviously, Russell Wilson can still do some damage. He's not what he was, but he's certainly no slouch either. This is not a walk in the park. And I think the no. thing that's concerning is if you would have talked about this game five weeks ago and you saw the uh, Dolphins put up 70 points on the Broncos, you'd go, okay, the Bills are going to go and put up an insane amount of points, and it's not going to matter if they give up 35. But I have no confidence that they're able to do that at any point. I, I know I've seen them do it, but I don't think they can just go hang 35. on. The thing that was concerning to me is the one game where the Bills looked a little bit more effective offensively was the game against the Bucs. And then before the Bills played the Bengals, I watched C.J. Stroud destroy yeah. the Bucs and do way more than the Bills were able to do. And then I'm like, well, maybe the Bucs just aren't that good, and maybe this was even a bad day for the Bills, and they, it, they just weren't that good. It's more about the Bucs than it is about the Bills. Yeah, and um, the, the, the Broncos' defense, they have held three straight opponents to under 20 points. Two of those are the Kansas City Chiefs, by the way. And I know the Chiefs aren't playing great on offense right now, they still held the Chiefs twice in three weeks to under 20 points with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in that group. So they're playing a lot better right now. I know you can't throw away the 70-point game, but you know that game makes it really, really skewed as far as all of their numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, I mean, they gave up points to Washington. They gave up points you know, to somebody else. But either way, they've played much better. And Russell Wilson is not playing poorly right now. No. Like Russell Wilson's having a nice bounce back here, and it's kind of going to – I'm not saying he's an MVP candidate. He's not. He's not playing to the level even of Josh Allen, but he's playing pretty decent football, Matt. Yeah, I mean, they're also coming off of a bye week, too. That's right. And they're very healthy. Very healthy. So, I don't know. The the Bills are a big fan. The Bills are a touchdown favorite in this game, and I I do not feel confident. They're nine-point favorites at New England. Yeah, that's what I mean. I I don't feel confident about the the one thing that you like is that it's in Buffalo, and this team is good in Buffalo – have they lost a home game yet? Um, no. Bills, uh, no. The Giants, no. But you know what? What's weird is, they so it, yeah. it, well, they the have Jags. lost a technical home game. The, That's the Jags, yeah. And the I Jags. agree. Like, I'm not going to count that. But, yeah. yeah. And when they've gone on the road, mm-hmm. they're one and three. Yeah. The only game they've won is Washington, which is interesting and concerning to me. They've lost on the road to the – uh, New England Patriots, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the New York Jets this year. Yeah. I mean, the Bengals are a tough game, but you absolutely should have beat the Patriots, and you absolutely should have beat the Jets. And I know the Jets game was weird, and they just made, made way too many mistakes, but then I watched the Jets earlier this week against the Chargers, and they are just offensively in They're so bad. They're so bad on offense. But they're so on good offense. on defense. I know. So good on defense. I know. And that's how they beat the Bills because Josh threw the ball three times, right? I mean, uh-huh. and that, and you know, they they were without they were with Zach Wilson pretty much the whole game. Aaron Rodgers 
had that injury on the first drive. Um, so the other part about this game is it's the third of three straight prime times. You guys will have it, right? Yeah. Channel seven. Yeah, it's, yeah, you it's guys will have seven. it. And now after that, then, you know, they do have four twenty-five games coming up after that, but this stretch of primetime games has been something to deal with here for all of us. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it's obviously exciting that it's on channel seven and that's a big day for our station. And we're excited for the pregame show and for the game itself. But after that, I am so ready for afternoon games again, 425 even. I, yep. I obviously would prefer 1 o'clock, but 425, whatever. I'll take that as opposed to the super late nights and then middle of the night. And I know it's tough on fans, and I think the excitement around primetime games has worn off a little bit for a lot of people, probably also because the team isn't doing as well. I mean, if the team had one or two losses, I don't think anybody would care. But now I think it's just even more stressful waiting all day for the game. And then if they stink, not being able to go to bed and having your next day ruined, it is incredible how different the vibe is in this area after a win and after a loss. You know, I get back from Cincinnati on Monday and we've got the show and I walk into work and everybody's walking around like zombies. And then you go to the grocery store later and people are miserable and it is incredible. It is just a game, but it means so much to so many people. And I'm looking, you know, it is just so everybody knows they have the primetime game this week, 815. Then it's 425, 425 by week, 425, 425. Then it's another primetime game. That one's in LA. Mm-hmm. That's the Christmas weekend. They play that yeah. Saturday night game. So, and then you get finally a one o'clock in the afternoon Sunday game, but mm-hmm. Bills and the Broncos this week, uh, Monday night football. All right. What else? Anything we need to touch on here? We uh, that you got on your mind? You just want to say before we head on out of here this week? I'm having a hard time figuring out what they are, and I you can we can sit here and we can talk about. Do you think they are too? Yeah, I do actually. Especially on offense, you think they are trying to? You think the whole what's their identity is a good question even for them right now? Yeah, I think they're having a little bit of an identity. I think they're having a little bit of an identity crisis, and I think the defense. A few weeks ago would have been good enough to get them through this little stretch when the offense wasn't able to figure it out. But now I don't know if they will be able to. And then that puts even more pressure on the offense. And that is concerning to me. Like going into this game, I don't think you can count on your defense holding the Broncos to 20 points. I think you're going to need to go score points. And while you're capable of doing it, I'm not confident that you can because the proof shows that you can't. They have played more bad games this year than good games. And I think I'll always bet on Josh Allen. But at the same time, I don't know if I'm betting on Ken Dorsey. And that's what I'm trying to figure out, like what this team is. I don't know the answer to that. A lot of people this week want to know, are they going to be okay? Are they frauds? Do they stink? Matt, I, I don't I don't there's know. Almost, there's almost no winning from that because I will tell you this. If the Bills go and score 40 points, let's just be realistic. I'm not going to say 50, 60, 70 like the Dolphins scored. They go and score 40 points against the Broncos. A lot of people will feel a lot better. I'll feel a lot better. But there will be a segment of fans who say, dude, it's the Broncos. Yeah. Right? I mean, people will do that. They're going to say, the Dolphins hung 70 on them. Mm-hmm. They're bad, despite playing better lately. So it's kind of a tough spot. Like, you, you, you can't really do anything other than just go out there and play and do it. And you got to start stringing and stacking wins, as they say. It's Broncos, Jets, Eagles. Is that correct? Uh, uh, Eagles, then by, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you absolutely minimum have to win two of the next three. That is like bare bones. You and I would say win. I would say you better win the two AFC games. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. For sure. 
which is funny yeah. because if you lost to the Broncos and then beat the Jets and the Eagles, I think people would feel really good about beating the Eagles. But the reality is just the AFC games mean just a little bit more. And that's why this is a, this is an absolutely pivotal stretch for this team. No doubt about it. All right. Check us out on the YouTube page. If you don't, uh, if you haven't done that on video, Sal sports on YouTube, but of course, if you're finding us here and you're listening to us, you know where it is. iTunes, Spotify, WGR, Odyssey app. Mike Robbie is our producer. Matt Bove, WKBW TV Channel 7. When's your uh, pregame stuff and all your coverage start on Monday? What are you, doing? What are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, we have our newscast normally 5, 6, 7 o'clock, all that stuff. But instead of a 7 o'clock news, we will have a 7 o'clock pregame show that runs from 7 to 8. We're doing a bunch. I mean, we're going to have stuff with ESPN. We're going to have a sit down with Von Miller. We're going to have nice. somebody from Denver. We get we got a bunch of stuff planned in the game itself. So, you know, if you don't have ESPN or if you just want to turn on Channel 7 anyway, we've got all that stuff covered. And it, the one thing that's really cool about the Monday Night Games is getting a chance to watch football over the weekend. I am really excited for that to just kind of hang yeah. out because it feels like those days are few and far between these days. Not even just because of the job, but also because of a child. Let me tell you, our baby is now about eight months old. Yep. It is. Everybody told me when we had the baby and before we had the baby, hey, it's so much work. It's so worth it, but it's so much work. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm sure it's so much work, but I'll figure it out. And then the last couple of days, my wife's mother has not been feeling great. She normally watches the baby. So I've been watching the baby and then going into work. So I'll like basically be with the baby from seven to three and then go to work from three to midnight. Yep. I feel like somebody has punched me in the face. <laughs> how tired and yeah, I get it. how tired and, ex and there's people who are doing so much more than I am. And I'm not naive to that, but I'm like, I thought I was tired then. Oh boy. Was I in for a rude awakening? Well, I'll let you go get some sleep now. Make sure you do that. Check them out. Matt Bove, WKBW TV channel seven. WGR Sports Radio 550 is where you'll find me. And, of course, all of your pregame coverage and the game will be on the radio there as well. All right. For uh, all these guys, for me, we're going to take off now. And we'll talk to you next time. It's always game day in Buffalo.